in three words. The best stories. What is showing some of the best things going on right now? The, the best, best stories, stories are authentic. They are relevant. Thought-provoking. Emotional is probably the first The best one stories are humorous. Shareable. They I think are emotional. entertaining. They're unique. I, I would and say relevant. inspiring. Honest. Real. Colorful. And they're emotional. Those are some of the best stories. Hello and welcome into Storyteller. It's the monthly live stream that is produced by Tagboard, but more importantly, it is powered by all of you. My name is Sky Muller. You can find me on Twitter at SkySPX. But more importantly, let's intro today's storyteller. He's the creator, writer, producer, director, you name it, for the hit HBO series Entourage. And more recently, over the last few years, he's been absolutely crushing the podcast game. He has the Victory Podcast for him and the guys from Entourage, Kevin Dillon, Kevin Conley, and many others break down show by show. Uh, and a lot more chatter going on there. Also, he has another podcast. It is titled Ramble On, which is also the name of a show he has in the works. And I know they're shooting the opening scene here in a little bit, and it has them all stressed out. So we appreciate you. Doug Ellen, welcome to Storyteller. Thank you for having me. What's happening? Not too much. Not too much, Doug. We like to start the show the same every time with our guests. And um, I like this question because it, it's a little bit of a different answer from everyone. But what we're going to ask you is in three words, like three separate words, in your opinion, the best stories are blank, blank, and blank. Like what makes up the best stories? Three words. Uh, Could be inspiring. Yeah, there you go. Intriguing, inspiring, and engaging. Engaging. I love them all. That's true. And intrigue is probably um, uh, a, a good thing to hit on of, you know, Entourage was very intriguing to a, a huge audience um, around the globe. And one of the best shows um, to ever hit the HBO um, airwaves. What for you on the intriguing side intrigued you to get into screenwriting, storytelling and uh, this whole industry? Well, when I when I graduated college, to be honest with you, I, <clears throat> I didn't know what I was going to do. I normally have a voice for my podcast. I don't know why I don't today, but, um, <laughs> but I, I grew up loving movies, loving comedy. Um, I didn't know a single person in the entertainment business at all. I was at Tulane in New Orleans and heading to law school, which my dad's a lawyer, my brother's a lawyer. And my senior year, I was just like, I'm not doing that. And um you know, the idea of moving to Los Angeles, especially 30 years ago, without knowing anyone was very strange. You couldn't get online and meet people before you got there. So I, I just showed up and honestly had no idea what I was doing, had no real discernible skills in the business. <laughs> and uh, I just started trying to figure it out. And, um, you know, I think that it was my love of, of the entertainment, not the business, but entertainment, movies, comedy, music, um, that made me really want to engage in it however I could. So what, um, during that, that process, your early days where you're trying to figure it out, any, any stories that, that stand out to you that you look back on and you're like, holy shit, like that, you know, that was either it, it, it set you off on the right path to where you are today, or you're like, this isn't going to work. Well, so many things. And, and, you know, I, I I had a I had some lucky breaks I guess you would say but uh, and I grinded to make them happen but um, you know I came out here like I said I didn't know anybody 
I, I went to a temp agency and started getting jobs at a temp agency. Um, I signed up for a UCLA extension class, which you take at night for a few hundred bucks on screenwriting. I didn't know anything. And I was just showing up at amateur stand-up nights. And uh, this temp agency got me a job at New Line Cinema in the mailroom. Um, and I was fortunate that I met someone in the mailroom who was also a writer. And we decided, let's make a short film. Um, so a break that, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, I think I, I helped make it, but I, I handed out flyers at New Line Cinema and said to everybody, I'm, I'm doing stand-up comedy, please come and, and donate a hundred bucks to this short film that we're making. And, uh, um, Mike DeLuca, who's now an Oscar winning producer, but he was vice president of the company at the time. He came for whatever reason. I don't know if they liked how I handed out the mail or what, but, uh, <laughs> He came, he liked my stand-up, and he gave me he wrote me a check for ten thousand dollars. Um, and you know, I wasn't in the business or this town more than six months when that happened. Then I went and made this short film. And obviously it was good on some level. Um, but I so ended up selling it to Showtime, which is very, very rare that you know you can take a short film and sell it anywhere. And it wasn't like I made money, but I got a chance to make a film. I got to meet some incredible real actors by chance. David Schwimmer from Friends played softball with a friend of mine who brought him over to my house to audition for this short film. Uh, I happened to meet, I, when I worked at New Line, I, I drove as a PA for a movie, House Party, and I met uh, a, a woman named Helen Martin who'd been in you know a lot of television and movies and asked her to do my short film and was lucky enough to meet Johnny Silverman from a million movies, Weekend at Bernie's and other things. And so I got this great cast together, and then I I sold it. Um, and what happened, which you know, I could have been, uh, you know, I could have been Quentin in five minutes. I, I, I legitimately was not out of the mailroom four months, five months, and I made this movie. The movie it was like a seven minute short film, and uh, a producer saw it and was like, "I want you to direct my real movie," which was called The Parent Trap with Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Pollak, and. Uh, I'd never been on a film set besides this short film that I did, um, which was a very simple, more of a, it's more of a actor writer piece than a director's piece. It was people just talking to the camera like this. And uh, all of a sudden this producer saw it and was like, you're a genius. I want you to direct this 20, $30 million movie, which happened to be at new line cinema. And uh, so less than six months after I left pushing a mail card around, I was walking back into new line cinema, 21, 22 years old um, to direct this, feature film. Um, and like I said, a lot of directors, Spielberg and Quentin, they were just students of directing and technology and understood it all. I didn't know anything. I just knew what I thought was funny. So when I went into this meeting where it could have been one of the great stories of all time, where I had gone from the mailroom to directing a giant movie in less than a year, um, I didn't even know what the hell they were talking about. And Mike DeLuca was the guy I was meeting with who was the guy who gave me that money for the short film. And when he started asking me real questions about directing, I had no idea what he was even talking about. You know, um, shots and lenses and lighting and shit that I'd never thought about and all the times I was watching movies because I was much more of a, you know, what's funny, what isn't, et cetera, et cetera. So I had that meeting, which was a complete disaster, which if I did it over again, I would know how to fake my way through it and maybe have gotten that job possibly and probably would have been fired from it six months later. But um, after that, Mike took me out to lunch and said, look, you've got some talent. 
now you got to really learn it. And so I ended up using that short film that sold to Showtime to get into the American Film Institute. And I went to film school for a year. And um, so that that's pretty much how everything I did got started. But um, I guess, you know, it all does come back to the same thing. I went out and did it myself. I wrote a script with, with this guy in the mailroom. And I said, I'm getting the money however I have to. And I'm going to go make that film. And that led to everything that you know, has happened over the last 30 years. Not as quickly as, as it might have if that story worked out, but um, I think it's uh, something that you see now. It's much easier in 2022. You can go make the film that I made that cost probably fourteen or $15,000 in 1991 would cost about 35 cents today. You know, um, you could do it on an iPhone. It would probably look just as good as what I did. Um, which took almost six months and, you know, like I said, 14 grand. So I think, you know, the real lesson for me is, and and I'm doing it now again, 30 years later, I just decided to go out and make my own thing and not wait for anybody to tell me what they liked or didn't like, and then and then we'll see what happens. So. Well, now you're doing it, you know, 30 years later, and you're creating the show Ramble On, and now we have podcasting. It wasn't around when you're at Honorage and, and creating Honorage, and definitely not when you're creating your short film. I, I personally uh, am a follower, subscriber, and I like to hear the behind-the-scenes process that goes into creating the show, financing the show, writing the show, and how you, as as the creator of it, are almost obsessive over the open of it, right? You're willing to put a bunch of money back in to get this open perfect. Do you yeah. like having the podcast now to talk, to be able to talk process with people who are fans, people who are in the industry and stuff like that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I realize, you know, one of the reasons... Um, and I was, I was, you know, a decent amateur comedian, but I didn't love, um, the audience, the, the nerves, the anxiety of it. And, you know, when I was a kid, people used to tell me all the time, I should have a talk show. I should do radio. And I, I always despised my voice. And when Kevin Connolly, who was on Entourage said, let's do this podcast. I was like, what are you talking about? And it's become like my favorite thing. I just... A, I love to do it. I love to talk about whatever it is, sports or entertainment. But yeah, I do love to talk to young people. And I wish, you know, even though I did, like Mike DeLuca, I had that amazing break to meet someone like that. But now the world is open to anybody to kind of have some access to people to let you know some of the things that you can look out for when you get into whatever business you want to get into. So I, I love it. Yeah. You you gave a little bit, I think, of, of really good advice when you were talking about your story and how you got into it. Speaking on this podcast to um, you know people in the industry, people who want to get into it, what would be like number one advice you give to people? Well, I think the number one advice is that, like I said, get out there and do it. You can do things very inexpensively now. If you're an actor, find a writer who can write something for you and film it however you can, you know? Um, Quentin Tarantino made, you know, Reservoir Dogs. Clearly, he made a movie that was as inexpensive as it could be. Um, Darren Aronofsky, who I went to AFI with, did, you know, Pie for $60,000. It changed his life. And I think that, you know, now you can really make stuff very inexpensively. I have friends who are YouTubers who some people, like, want to laugh at, but... They've gone out and, and made careers for themselves by just making content in their spare time. And I think that that's the key is really going out and doing it because uh, it's a very hard thing to just learn. You have to just do it. Um, so that, that's what I would say. As you get ready to you know finalize the, the pilot for Ramble On and, and then pitch it out to the different areas, we are in 2022. Are you thinking like, 
there's so many options now, like for distribution of this show, are you thinking through all the possible options out there? And could we see it on, you know, maybe something that's a little less traditional than obviously like an HBO max or something like that? Yeah. I mean, anything is possible, you know, who, who knows? I mean, we've thought about releasing it ourselves and, and selling it directly to our community, but ideally we would end up on an HBO max or something like that. But, but I have, um, kind of like I did with my short film, I, just kept my head down and did not go into the strategy of the business of it. Just thought, make the best half hour we can, do it as quickly and efficiently as we could, and then what will be will be. So we're we're, we're going to see soon enough, you know. I sense your days writing for Honorage, Doug Allen, the writer. Does he write the same style and everything now? I mean, I know you always get the question of like, it's twenty twenty two. There's different things you can't say. Not that kind of a question, but more. Maybe more so even at the lines of like attention spans are are not very good right now. Everyone's watching your show maybe with the phone in their hand. Do you write any differently knowing that? I've never thought about the audience and even um, what I would write or not write. You know, I know know you don't want to talk about the 2022 question, but, you know, I, I didn't, you know, Entourage was a critically acclaimed show by liberals, right wings, whatever the fuck it was, Barack Obama, et cetera. Um, and obviously, 15 years later, things change, the world evolves, there's words that I wouldn't say in my life, so why would I ever write them? Um, but I don't ever sit down and consciously think, is that going to offend somebody? I, I hopefully see the world, and hopefully, you know, which I think I was on Entourage, uh, we were always ahead of the curve in a lot of things that were happening, and I hope that my observations see that the best comedians um, and the best writers do that. And the ones that don't, um, they write stuff that you go, how, how the fuck was that guy so funny back then? And all of a sudden it feels so stupid or great musicians. Also, there are some that can go from generation to generation and some that you're like, wow, the guy hasn't had a good song since 1975. I can only hope that people like what I have to say, but I never, sit around and think what the audience is going to think. I try to think what I think, and then hopefully they'll be interested in it. You know, it sounds like good content wins out, right? Like if you're writing entertaining stuff, people are going to drop the phone and watch what, what you have out there. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, if, if you can deliver it and obviously I, I don't think it's just taste change. I think you have to, you know, even watching, you can watch some of your favorite movies and, you know, when you watch them with young people, they may look at it. They've had a, their 20 years of experience. They may have seen something. They may have seen 50 things that ripped off your favorite movie, but they don't see it like that. So they don't have that nostalgia behind it. They don't have anything. So the reality is you have to be current and you have to say something that speaks to people today. And then you hope and pray that it lasts 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now. You can't control that, though. I think we all know there are some movies that people saw back in the day, they were like, Oh my God, it was the greatest movie I've ever seen. And then they could look at it 20 years later and go, what the hell was I thinking? This is, this is garbage. So, um, you never know what the future will hold. I think what great writers do and whether I am one or not, will will you know, or, or was, or will be, we'll find out when people see what I'm doing now. But, um, I don't think you can try to manage what the audience thinks. You just have to find things that spark your interest and, and try to make them the best you can. One thing that I enjoyed recently, I was listening to the, the Victory Podcast, which everyone go check out the Victory Podcast and the Ramble On Podcast. Doug Allen is um, 
a featured voice on those on a weekly basis. They're very entertaining. One thing that I was, I was listening to the one with you and Jerry and Kevin and the return of the King. And, and you guys were kind of, you watched it back and I, uh, all the guys were kind of like, whoa, you know, what were we thinking a little bit with you, the storyline of drama buying a horse? And then, yeah. you know, that is that like when you're watching these back, um, some of them hit and do some of them maybe not hit as, as well? For, for sure. And, and things that, you know, you could watch any great show and you'll see episodes that are better than other episodes or that you like more than other episodes, or you'll see things that you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that was so stupid. I remember thinking it was funny back then. And, and again, I really do think entourage holds up pretty well. And I'm, I, I couldn't be prouder of what we did, but there are things I look at. And when you're grinding on a TV show and you're trying to churn out story after story, sometimes you get stuck. And that was one of those moments, which by the way, some people love that. I still get comments mm -hmm. about that storyline that I think is silly that I know I kind of stole from Taxi, which, you know, which was one of my favorite shows growing up. Um, and, and, you know, there's when you're in a writer's room and, and there is budgets going and actors are waiting for scripts and executives are telling you you're behind. You hope that you could be great all the time, but most people cannot be. Well, Doug, we have a few more questions for you, but real quick, want to give everyone a quick mental break. And so we're going to pull off a little tag board trivia entourage edition. Get out those phones, get ready to scan the QR code on screen. You just heard us call out tag board trivia during the Storyteller live experience. If you're listening on the podcast, no need to worry. You can play along as well. We dropped a link in the show notes or go to tagboard.com slash storyteller. Scroll down a little and you'll see the trivia. And welcome back. Hope everyone scored well on Entourage Trivia. We are joined by Doug Allen, the creator of Entourage. He also has an independent production in the works right now, Ramble On. Keep an eye out for it. You'll be seeing it uh, on a platform soon. Doug, getting into the second half here. Let's get into the sports stuff. I know you're a, a big-time sports fan. I know Entourage often had great cameos, whether it be in the show or the movie, from from different athletes. Yeah. Whether it's related to something on set or just something in your life of, of being a sports fan, what's a do you have any good just like interaction with an athlete story? I mean, I'm fortunate that I've had so many, even as a kid. I mean, uh, you know, my brother went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and I think I was – he's – five years older than me when he was a freshman and I was 12. Um, we stayed at the Marriott in Pittsburgh and I was playing asteroids. If you guys even know what the hell that is. Yeah, of course. And, uh, and this fucking big guy walks into the game room at the Marriott hotel and is like, can I play with you? And I was like, okay. And I'm playing a game with them and like other players come in. I have no idea what's happening, but a lot of big guys are walking in the place. And, uh, Played asteroids with him. Realized that the uh, the New York Giants were were in the house to play the Steelers, and I asked the guy after to sign an autograph for me. I had no idea who it was. He signs LT number fifty six, and it was his his rookie season. And I was a uh, I was a Rams fan up until that point. Even though I grew up in New York, I you know like I said, I loved movies and Heaven Can Wait and Something for Joey, uh, which was this movie about this uh, Penn State running back whose brother died of cancer and he donated his Heisman Trophy to him. So I was a Rams fan. So that day I switched from being a, a Rams fan to a Giants fan and LT became my 
favorite player, and uh, he follows me on Twitter now, which I'm very proud of. So, um, so that was one. And then, I mean, I have a lot of great stories with from Kobe Bryant, you know, um, being a big Entourage fan and getting involved with like my cast when we were shooting there and betting them on a shot that he 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 missed and had to give uh, Jerry, who played Turtle, I think twenty bucks or a hundred bucks, whatever it was, and. Um, but, but another one that was really special to me was Mark Teixeira, first baseman for the Yankees, um, who was a friend, got me uh, Yankee Stadium to shoot at. And I brought my children, all my high school best friends and their kids to Yankee Stadium. We had run of the place for, you know, three, four hours and we shot with A-Rod. So that was pretty cool. And Jerry Jones gave us Dallas Cowboys Stadium to shoot at. So, I mean, I, I've been very lucky with the sports stuff. Um, so I've, I've gotten to, you know have LeBron James on the, on, on my show and, and, um, and Tom Brady and, uh, Phil Mickelson. And uh, I mean, so many, so, uh, it was very fortunate. That's epic. That, that, those are good stories too. Um, as a Seattle sports fan, I, I recently have some beef with, with Russell Wilson. I know you guys had him on the entourage set. I think famously broke E's leg by throwing a little high, um, <laughs> when you guys were filming well, entourage. Well, is that right? Said- Connolly says it was a high throw. I don't know. We'd have to look. At, <laughs> we'd have to look at the tape. But yeah, we had him on. Uh, we had him in the movie. So uh, yeah. What's Did, your beef with him? Well, my beef is I'm a Seattle sports fan, and he, you know, he left us for Denver. So that's my that's my personal gripe with him as just as a fan. <laughs> yeah, true. But you know, behind the scenes, who knows what was going on? It sounded like yeah. it was definitely something that he wanted to get out. But anyway, long story short, obviously I'm forever grateful for he brought a Super Bowl to Seattle. So yeah. forever grateful for him. But I was listening to your podcast and you, and you uh, I think you had gotten a movie poster for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood signed by Leo. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And now you're going to and you were you were saying I'm going to take down the Russell uh, picture. Maybe, I mean, you know, something something's got to come down. I don't have any wall space. Left, <laughs> so that was that was the obvious choice to me. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's no beef. I, he used to be a close friend of mine. He's not. And uh you know, he was one of my first calls to do our, our podcast when we had three listeners and he was just starting his podcast and um, he did not reply, which, uh, um, you know, I've, I've you know, he, he'd be all right without me. But I did some for him when he was a nobody. But so I, I just don't appreciate the uh, non-reciprocation, but it's all good. I get it. Yours is more personal. Mine's just like a, a fandom on my end. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh, you won an Emmy for um your work on the ESPN 30 for 30 when the garden was eaten. Um, you're a sports fan. Is there a sports franchise? I know we're, we're seeing winning time now on HBO. Uh, is there a sports like franchise era or is there a sports story that you would like to write about, make a show about, make a movie about down the road? Well, you know, I bet they're going to do it because winning time, Jeff Perlman, who I know who wrote the book, you know, he's got a book on the 86 Mets. Um, oh, there you go. That I mean, that could be a great scripted series, you know, the way they did Winning Time. I mean, so I wouldn't be surprised if they take a, another one of Jeff's books. Um, you know, for me, Slapshot, which a lot of people, you know, don't know that movie anymore. And a lot of people think of it as some silly hockey movie. And it's really a, a pretty brilliant movie and a look at a, you know, a, a town in economic distress as well as the craziness of, of minor league hockey. But I always I think there's another slap shot out there that could be a great movie. But the 86 Mets are definitely a team I would love to see something about because it was such a a, a bunch of lunatics. But there, there's a lot of them. I'm a big sports fan and sports movies from, you know, North Dallas 40, et cetera. You know, there's, there's just a lot of great sports movies. So I think there's you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see that 86 Mets one, though. I, I'm in like start writing and I'm in. Tell me tell me where to 
tune in. I'm all about it. Uh, Doug, we want to get you going here. We know you're busy. We know you are working on Ramble On. You are finishing up the pilot episode this week. Um, best of luck on that. It's going to be Thank absolutely you. awesome. Give people a little background on it. What, what can we expect to see with Ramble On? So Ramble On, Charlie Sheen's returned to TV. He's become a very good friend of mine. Um, it's a uh, you know, story about second acts, redemption, Kevin Connolly and Kevin Dillon from Entourage, Emmanuel Shrieky, Jamie Lynn Siegler, Mark Cuban, um, Breezy from the show All American, Kamiko Glenn from Orange is New Black. We have an unbelievable cast, um, and I'm really excited about it. It's these guys are playing themselves in an ultra, ultra real version of that. So, you know, whereas uh, I felt season one of Entourage, people actually thought it was a documentary. They didn't realize that I spent half my life trying to make every word sound perfect, but people thought it felt very real to them, and this is going to be, you know, the next version of that. It's going to be even more real, and... Uh, uh, I'm really excited about it. I just got an unbelievable cast, and, and I got my crew back from Entourage, so it looks great. And uh, we just got to finish and, and get it out there. The Ramble On like name, that comes from podcasting a little bit. Is that right? Oh, that comes a... from a Led Zeppelin song, which is funny that you said oh, like, you, you yeah, fucking I was kids, man. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> my, it's funny because when, when I came up with the name, I'm like, with all these young people, I'm like, oh, I just, fuck. I mean, this, it doesn't really mean the Led Zeppelin song, but that's all anyone's going to think of. And none of them even knew what I was talking about, which is so embarrassing for all of you. I mean, it's uh, one of the great, obviously one of the great rock bands of all time. And this is one of the great rock songs of all time but um but the name while the song is very important to me the name did have that podcast vibe to me as well um and the song gives it to me that extra kick so i love it uh my dad's gonna be mad at me for not knowing that he, he fact, trained me never better than that you again. yeah never again that's that's it i saw him yesterday we're probably never gonna speak again <laughs> um doug one final question for you kind of in that sense you've been doing the podcasting has there been um whether it be when when you're hearing from the guys talk about stuff that happened on set with Entourage or stuff that's you're talking about on Ramble On, have there been any unexpected stories that came out that you're like, wait, I had no idea that happened? Um, I mean, I'm sure there have been, but I I don't know. I mean, uh, we're all been so close for so long. Like, you know, I've heard I think most of the things that have happened. So it's funny how even when we're telling them on the show, we try to give it a little extra flair and pizzazz, you know, and just make it a little, you know, I think what's interesting about the podcast and, you know, people feel like it feels like the show. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I say, to me, it's the easiest thing in the world to do a podcast, whereas the show is extremely difficult. So when people go, oh, it's got the same vibe. I'm like, why did I spend all that time working on these scripts? We could have <laughs> just shown up and done whatever we wanted. But, uh, you know, what's been a surprise to me is how much fun it's been to, you know, get back together with the guys, talk about these old stories and new things because we talk we talk about everything. So it's been it's been it's been very rewarding, especially during covid when, you know, it felt like the world was over So. I, I would agree with that. I think that's a mix of good writing and good casting on the show. I think that yeah. it, you found the right group of people sure. and you wrote it accordingly. And now when you hear them on a podcast, it's like, oh, yeah, it feels like you're right back yeah. into to the show. Yeah. So, uh, love you know, big fan of everything you did on Entourage, but also really excited that you're um, working on a new project with Ramble On. We're going to make sure everyone um, spots it, sees it, and, and watches it wherever it ends up. Um, going out there. But Doug, I know it's a stressful week with you. You're trying to get this all locked up. So uh, best yep. of luck to you and appreciate you jumping on our storyteller program. You got program. it. You got it. Thanks a lot. <laughs>